Get out your Bibles. John chapter 6 is where we're going to go, and uh, we're continuing to dine with Jesus. If you've read anything of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus eats a lot (laughs) with a lot of different people. And our phrase that we've been saying every Sunday is, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Would you say that with me? Oh, taste and see that the Lord, He is good. Amen? And we've dined on a lot of different things that the world has to offer, and it may taste sweet going down, but it's a bitter pill. Once that sweet coating wears off, it's going to get into our system in every possible way. And it's going to do what John 10.10 says that Satan's job description is, steal, kill, and destroy. But the meal that we receive from Christ, as we dine on him, as we feast at his table, he's come that we might have life and have it to the full. John 10.10, the last part of that verse. So as we've been dining with Jesus, and we've been seeing where he has been dining with people as he walked and talked on this earth in ministry, there's a lot of things going on. Uh, uh, it, it, that revolved around food, a lot of significant things. One of the more significant ones we're going to look at today is the uh, feeding of the 5,000. It actually happens a couple of different times that he feeds a lot of people, but we're going to look at this particular one in John chapter 6. So here we go. Let's begin with uh, verse 1. We're going to read the first 13 verses. It says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he performed by healing the sick. So he's moving on and the people are finding out where he was going and they followed him. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. So he selected this particular place to just rest and and reflect and, and recuperate. And he sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. And when Jesus looked up, And saw a great crowd of people coming toward him, because there's no rest for the weary, you know. He said to Philip, now by the way, there's three different things that he said here in this this passage. And I'm going to pull out these three phrases. I was praying about this week, the Lord just popped out these three these three statements. One was a question, the first one was a question, then the next two were statements. He popped out to me and he said, focus on these. But let's, here's the first one. He, he turned to Philip. Philip was one of his disciples. And he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And then he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Jesus knew that. Philip answered him in a very practical way. It would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. That's so typical of guys, isn't it? Here's the problem, and so here's the solution, and this is what I've come up with, right? Another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and said, well, here's a boy with five small, uh, small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? And then here's the second thing that Jesus said. He said, have the people sit down. Okay, so then it says there was plenty of grass in that place, which is an important uh, part that we'll point out here in a little bit as to why that was even included in this descriptive of what was going on. And so they sat down. There was about 5,000 men that were there. By the way, this 5,000 men, that doesn't include women and children, so you can guarantee that there was more than 5,000 people there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, 
He then said to his disciples, here's the third thing that he said, gather the pieces that are left over and let nothing be wasted. So the disciples gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. So these three phrases here we're going to look at this morning. I'm, uh, I just love how the Lord brings out stuff. Okay, so here's the first thing that he said. It's a question. Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Okay. Seems a very, a very practical question. And Philip gave a very practical solution. Or at least he measured it out as to, here's the problem, and really there's probably not too much of a solution here. Jesus' question actually pointed Philip out three problems to Philip. First, there was a lot of hungry people to feed, right? Obviously, 5,000 men plus. Second, there was no Piggly Wiggly nearby, nowhere nearby. And third, even if there was a grocery store nearby, there wasn't enough money to feed them. Okay, so Jesus pointed those three things out in that question. So here's what the Lord helped me show me with this first. Because I think that we would look at this story and we think, wow, that's really cool. So Jesus fed a bunch of people with a little bit. And we've always, I mean, how many's heard this story like more than a dozen times in your life, right? So, okay. So we, with a very familiar story, I mean, in children's church, in Sunday school, all throughout life, we've heard this. We teach it in our children's. I know that that's been taught with Pastor Matt and the rest of the, the workers there, you know, it's a cool story. But here's where the Lord, from the perspective of Philip, wanted us, wants, I believe wants us to look at it this morning. And that is this, life is challenging. Feeding 5,000 people with nothing, is that's a challenge, is it not? Right? But life, in, in essence, is challenging. How many has experienced a challenge since January 1st of this year? Right? I mean, all of us. The rest of you guys, God bless you. I mean, I want to I talk to you after church and find out what's your secret. Because the fact is that there's a lot of hungry people out there. And I use the word hungry in quotations, because there's a hunger that's out there that's not just food to eat, but it's a hunger, a need for peace, a need for salvation, a need for hope, a need for direction, a need for deliverance. There's a lot of hungry people out there, right? Whether it be in your work, whether it be in your family, whether it be in ministry, whether it be in your school, whether it be in this culture, whether it be things going on across the globe, that's coming at us, it feels like it's coming at us relentlessly. And sometimes, don't we just, have you ever asked God to just stop the world and just let you get off? Okay, just stop the world, I want to get off. How many ever prayed that prayer? How many have prayed that prayer this week? Me. Has anyone ever felt like you just can't take care of all the needs and fix all the problems that are around you? If not, that you've never been a pastor. It always seems like there's more month than money doesn't it? it? It always seems like that you get one issue fixed and this like whack-a-mole, three more pop up somewhere else. It's like the little boy with the, sticking his finger in the wall. <laughs> here comes the water. I got that fixed. <laughs> I'll spritz three more. It's like, I, can, I only have so many appendages here, you know? It seems like that the problems never cease. It's a very, it's a very rare time in our lives that you get a break, that you experience a rest, and that you really enjoy a season when it's just peaceful and all goes well, correct? I mean, those are nice to have, but they're rare, few and far between. And I'm so thankful that God gives us those times of refreshing or else it would be, in a lot of ways, unbearable. You know, you strive to live for Jesus well. The criteria for, 
The criteria for not experiencing trials in your life is that you're dead, all right? Now, if you're still alive, you're going to experience situations and trials. And if you serve Jesus, that still does not exempt you from having trials. But Jesus, I love you. But Jesus, I serve you. But Jesus, I read your word every day. But Jesus, I come to church. But Jesus, I pray. But Jesus, I'm sold out to you. But I'm still experiencing trials. What gives? Just because we serve Jesus doesn't mean struggles cease. Think about it. Jesus had just come. We read John chapter 6. In John chapter 5, read behind it. Because it says after this, he went to the mountain with the disciples to chill out and recuperate. But he had just come from a confrontation with the Jewish religious leaders, which he had on a regular basis. They were constantly challenging him, the religious people of that day. And they had it in their hearts, it was descriptive in chapter 5, that they wanted to kill him. They hated him, he was a threat, and they wanted to kill him. Why in this particular case did they want to kill him? Because he did something so awful as to heal a man on the Sabbath. Oh, just kill him. All Jesus wanted to do was rest for a bit. He just wanted to regroup with his disciples. He just wanted to take a breath. He just wanted to detox and to enjoy a moment. Sounds good, doesn't it? Nothing wrong with that. But even as he tried to get away, the need came to him. Here they come. He looked up and here comes 5,000 hungry men dragging their wives and children along. Jesus, the perfect son of God, knew what it was like to face trials challenges. He knew what it was like to be weary. He knew what it was like to be mistreated. He knew what it was like to be falsely accused. He knew what it was like to be used. And when he was just trying to catch a breath for just a little while, the need comes towards him in the form of 5,000 plus hungry people. And so he turns to Philip and he asks him a very specific question. Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And then Philip, apparently the more practical one of the group, assessed the situation and concluded that there was no reasonable solution to the problem. <laughs> we don't have enough money, is really what he was saying. Just can't afford it. Now, by the way, they probably had some money, but neither Philip nor any of the other disciples stepped up with the idea of pooling their resources. Think about it. They were not paupers. They were not destitute. There was no passing of the offering plate on that day. Well, maybe we can just take up a collection and see what we can do. And by the way, Judas, as we learned last week, was the treasurer of any monies that the disciples had. And he certainly wasn't going to disclose how much money was in the treasury. He probably t stepped back to not like, like he was busy doing something else. Because as far as he was concerned, the money that was in the treasury was his and was for his use. So Philip just went right to, this is impossible. There's no way. So can you relate to this? Can you relate to when a situation is before you in your life? I mean, pull back, pull back. I'm not talking about 5,000 people coming to you and you're having to figure out how to feed them. I'm talking about the impossible situations in your life. And when Jesus comes and asks you, what shall we do in this situation? Because he is asking us. It, through his word, through our times of prayer, through his Holy Spirit, he speaks to us and says, what can be done? And don't we too often respond back to him, 
this is impossible. The situation is impossible. There's nothing that we can do about this. There's not enough money. There's not enough strength. There's not enough patience. You might say that to him. It may not be a financial lack on your part. Maybe you're just responding, Lord, I don't have time. Maybe you're responding, I really don't have the ability. I can't do this. Or maybe you're saying, I'm not qualified. Or maybe you're just saying, Lord, I'm just tired. Why are you asking me? We say like Philip, don't look at me. Stop asking me. I don't know. The problem is impossible. You're going to have to just figure this thing. I, I'm done. We struggle mightily many ways, many of us, with our apparent lack we say we lack the money, the time, the ability, the energy, the whatever, the passion, the whatever it is. We lack that. We tell God that. It's impossible. But let me tell you something. The lack is not coming from him. It's coming from you because you are lacking. I am lacking. We can't do this in our own strength. You see, the lack is not coming from Jesus' end, but it's coming from our end because we are insecure because we are selfish, because we are weary, because we don't want to get involved, because we don't want the responsibility, because we don't want the pressure, because we don't want the blame, or we don't want the abuse, or we don't want to feel used. So we just step back and say, this is impossible. Why are you even asking me? Let me assess the situation and tell you it's impossible. And by the way, I get it. Boy, I get it. Sometimes you just don't feel like don't you just sometimes you just feel like running away and hiding and crawling under a rock and waiting for the storm to pass? Sometimes, have you ever prayed the prayer, Lord, just take my life, I'm done? It's all right to admit that, by the way. Lord, I just, I just want to go to heaven. I'm done. Anybody's ever prayed that prayer besides me? Okay, good. That doesn't mean we're suicidal. <laughs> that doesn't mean we need therapy or anything. It just means we're human. And we just, sometimes we just like, we're done. There's a lot of examples in the Bible, by the way, that, of people that did that. Can I read you a couple of them so, so that I can let you know that we're in good company here? Elijah. He was afraid. He was weary, and he wanted to die. Jezebel was hot on his trail, wanting to kill him because of all that he did to defeat Jezebel and destroy all these prophets and all that. It was an awesome story in 1 Kings, chapter, uh, 1 Kings chapter 8, 17 and 18. You need to read it. Awesome. But in 1 Kings chapter 19, it says Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. As a result of this, he heard Jezebel was coming to kill him. So when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Just take my life. I'm done. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. I'm done. Elijah was a pretty, pretty, pretty effective dude, you know. Love Jesus, a prophet of God. But he got to a point where he said, see you world, you know, I'm done. Jonah, Jonah was angry and Jonah was frustrated and Jonah wanted to die because God saved the Ninevites because they repented after Jonah <laughs> was forced after being swallowed by a giant fish and then fish spit him out because Jonah was running away from the call of God on, on his life. God said, go to Nineveh. And Jonah said, no. And God finally said, yes. And Jonah did it begrudgingly. And then the Ninevites repented, just as Jonah predicted. And so Jonah was angry. 
at God because he hated the Ninevites, arch enemies. So Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, Jonah seemed, but, jo- but to Jonah this seemed very wrong that God would spare the Ninevites. And Jonah became very angry. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, was going to happen? I told you this was going to happen. That's why I wanted to stay at home. That's why I didn't want to do this. That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sin and calamity. Now, Lord, just take my life. For it's better to me to die than to live. He's just mad. So whatever our motivation for wanting the Lord to just take our life, we're discouraged, we're mad, we're weary, we're frustrated, we're afraid, whatever it is. There's times where sometimes we just say, you know, Lord, Lord, I've had a good run. I've lived a good life. Just take me home. <laughs> In my life over the years, I've faced my tri- a share of trials. And by the way, I hate trials. Does anybody love trials? If you are, you're sicko. You're just a sick person. And you need to ask the Lord to deliver you from that. Nobody likes trials. Not a soul. We want things to go easy, don't we? Smooth. Just glory to glory to glory to glory to glory until we get to heaven. But that doesn't happen. All of a sudden, we're blindsided. A loved one dies. A financial crisis takes place. A medical diagnosis changes and alters our life. A divorce happens. I mean, it's just boom. We lose our job. Boom, boom, boom. We just get blindsided. It's like we get hit by a two-by-four off the side of our heads. And we come to and think, what's just happened? And our world just turns upside down. What do you do? What do you do when stuff like that happens? It's a trial. It's a situation. It's a 5,000 people that are coming right at me, plus wives and children needing to be fed. And all I've got is a couple of coins here, and I'm sure not going to give it. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough energy. I don't have enough passion. I don't care. I'm just tired. I'm weary. I'm done. But I don't know about you, but this is what I've learned over the years. And this is a very important statement. Sometimes the easy way, sometimes the hard way, I've learned this, but if you'll just take a breath or two or ten and just tie another knot on the end of the rope that you're hanging on to, And hang in there and trust God in the midst of your storm, in the struggle and in the trial that he's never left you, he's never forsaken you, he is faithful, he is good. And he will see you through. In the midst of your storm, in the midst of your struggle, I promise you, things will get better. And God will see you through. I promise that from experience. And I hear a lot of amens because I feel like God has done the same for all of us in this place. But some of you are going through something right now. And you feel like all you see is the 5,000 hungry people coming your way. You see an impossible situation before you. And you're like Elijah. You're like Jonah. You're like even Philip who says, don't look at me. But hang in there. God's got an answer. He's going to see you through. Tie another knot on the end of the rope. I promise you, he'll he'll see you through. One of my favorite phrases in the Bible, by the way, is this. Put it up on the screen. It came to pass. It came to pass. By the way, it doesn't say it came to stay. 
It says it came to pass. The trials that you're going through, the struggles that you're facing, the 5,000 people that are coming your way hungry, the impossible situation, that situation that you're dealing with right now, that bondage, that struggle, that weariness, that fear, it came, it's here. I I mean, admit it, it's there. You can't deny it, but it's not going to stay. It's going to pass. It's a season. It's an opportunity for God to get glory in your life. These things show up constantly in our lives, but also the Bible says it came to pass constantly. (laughs) I love it. It's not just a one and out phrase in the Bible. It happens all throughout God's word. I'm so glad that the trials in our life don't come to stay, amen? But they come to pass. There's a, a Dutch believer in Christ who lived in the 13th and 14th century. His name was Thomas Akempis. And he wrote a powerful devotional that maybe some of you read called The Imitation of Christ. He wrote this, and I want to read it in its entirety. It's a fairly decent paragraph, but just I'm going to read it slowly so you can grab it. It's got that 13th, 14th century sort of English, so it's a little more rich. Our language has kind of gotten dumbed down over the centuries, so this has got a little more richness to it. So I'm going to read it a little slower so we can really let it absorb into us. And this is, he's talking about these trials that come our way. Listen to this. He says, every day as it passes, takes with it, in its hand, the opportunities that we have slighted and refused to take. The feeling of irritation that you have under trying circumstances. Things have not gone as you wish. Things do go strangely sometimes. So much disappointment and trouble are caused by one screw being loose somewhere. It's true. Well, the thing has come. But remember, like everything else, it has come to pass. Or it may be something much more serious than that. A reversal of fortune. The failure or death of one who, if not the sharer in your heart's affections, was one whose presence and favor were of great value to you. That great crisis of yours came. But it came to pass. God guided you into the wilderness that he might speak comfortably to you. The stormy night full of terrors brought the vision and in the morning. Wounds heal, though the marks of them abide. And though in some cases, like Jacob, after the night of wrestling, we halt upon our thigh, there is a relieving influence in time. The intense grief, the sense of despair, the feeling that all is gone, that life has no recuperative power, and that there is nothing worth living for. Of these feelings, it is true that they come, but they also come to pass. So we tie another knot on the end of the rope, and we say, God, you are faithful. You know, I don't know when Jesus is asking you, where shall we buy for these people bread to eat? He's actually asking you today, when you're faced with the relentlessness of the needs and the circumstances that are around you, and you're in the midst of a trial and a situation that seems impossible, a task or a solution before you doesn't seem it's apparent, won't you look to me, he's saying, and allow my joy to be your strength. Allow my peace that passes all understanding to rule your heart 
and to rule your mind. Allow me to stretch out my wings and you hide under the shelter of them. He asks us questions, not because he's trying to have us to make the solution. As we read in our text, he already knew what he was going to do. So here's what he asks us this morning, not for you to figure it out, but to remind you that he's our provider. He's our strength. He's our help. He's our source. He's our protection. He's our guide. He's all that we need. So he says to you today, in this impossible struggle that you're facing, what are you going to do about it? And our response is not ever, it's impossible. And we're not, he's not asking us to figure it out. Well, you need eight months worth of wages and da-da-da-da. No. He's actually saying to us, come to me. Rest in my strength. Trust me that I'm seeing you through. Do you trust him this morning? We trust him knowing that not only has that situation come, but it's come to pass. In the midst of it, he's our source for all that we need. Amen? He's all that we need. Say, Jesus, you're all that I need. Say it. Say, Jesus, tell him, you're all that I need. Say, in the midst of my storm, you're my shelter. Amen. You're all that I need. Amen. So we see Philip. Here's this practical response. I don't know. It's impossible. But then we see Andrew chiming in. Another one of the disciples, kind of an interesting little slant here. He says, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? So again, we don't see Andrew digging into his pouch to initiate a collection. I got some money. Anybody else have any money? He said, here's this little boy right here. Give me that. Here's some food. <laughs> now, I've heard a lot of sermons about this pastures over the years, just like many of us have. And you hear a lot of preachers say, you mean the only one who thought ahead for lunchtime was this little boy? Out of all the thousands of people, one little boy, one responsible, thinking ahead boy. That's all. The rest of them were completely irresponsible. I find that hard to believe. It really seems unlikely to me. There was 5,000 men there, not counting women and children. You cannot tell me that there was not enough coins among those crowds of people to go out and call Domino's and have them deliver some pizzas, you know? There's got to, there had to be some packs of Lance crackers in some of those pouches somewhere enough to kind of distribute, to kind of tide us over until the next meal, right? I think more, the more likely scenario was that there was an opportunity for others to step up, but only the little boy did. Maybe with the prompting of Andrew, but the little boy held up what he had to Jesus. I can just hear the little boy saying, here, you can have mine. I wonder how many opportunities that we've allowed to pass us by where we've held tightly onto our handful of pocket change and that little pack of crackers that we got stuffed away just in case we have some little hunger pains for fear that we wouldn't have what we need going forward. I wonder how many times we volunteer others' resources. Here's some people that got some money and here can take care of it. Here's some people that have, have an opportunity. They have the ability. They have the time. They have the resources. Let them do it. And all the while, we have the ability to meet the need right in our being. I wonder how many times we've missed the opportunity to say, here, Jesus, you can have mine. It's an important question for us to ask ourselves. As Jesus asks us today, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? We can either say it's impossible, or we can say, here, you somebody else. 
I got something, but I'm not going to tell him. So, but as we look at Andrew, I don't know, maybe there's something with Andrew here. Maybe he was reflecting on when Jesus had turned the water into wine just a few chapters before that, the first miracle Jesus did. Turned the water into wine. Andrew remembered that. Like he could take some water and turn it into wine at a wedding feast. Maybe he can do something with these five loaves and two fish. He'd been watching Jesus do a bunch of miracles up to that point. Maybe Jesus could take this, if he could take a blind person and let him see, if he could take a lame man and make him walk, maybe he can take these loaves and fish and do something with them. Maybe there's a little bit of a tinge of faith rising up in Andrew. Maybe Jesus can do a lot of something with this little something. And Andrew was right. By the way, that's all Jesus needs is a little bit of something. You know that Jesus never asks us for what we don't have? He always asks us for what we do have. There's an old song that has a line in it, little becomes much when you place it in the master's hand. It's so true. Whatever you have in your hand, whatever time, whatever talent, whatever treasure, no matter how insignificant it may seem to you, if you place it in the hands of Jesus, you can watch him multiply it to meet the need. You know, I can just imagine how excited Jesus got when he saw those loaves and fishes and said, okay, yes, if you will, let me have them. And then he took the loaves and the fishes, and this is the second important thing, that, uh, phrase that he said. He said, have the people sit down. So we can just picture that and say, okay, 5,000 plus people are just seated. What's the big deal with that? Well, let's see what maybe the Lord wants to show us in this. First off, Jesus didn't tell them to form a line and come to him. I'm going to stand right here, or I'm going to sit here. Everybody form a single file line and come on like a food, like a, you know, food line. He also didn't tell them to earn their food. Tell you what, I got some stuff here, but you guys are going to have to do something to earn it. All he did was he instructed them to sit down. And then John, the author of this book, uh, wrote these interesting words. He added another descriptive to this event. He said that there was plenty of grass in that place. It's an interesting detail. If you've ever been to Israel, I have not, but I've seen pictures. And back then, I mean, it's much more lush now in different places, but I can, it's, it's kind of an arid place. It kind of would remind you of, a, of the Southwest United States. You know, there's a few green patches, but it's only, <laughs> you kind of make it grow. It doesn't grow on its own. Here, I mean, you can't stop the grass from growing. Other places, you kind of have to talk pretty to it, you know? And that's kind of where it was in Jerusalem, and in Israel, rather. So I can see Jesus going up this mountainside from the sea and off the boat, and he's looking around at the mountainside, and he's saying, let's just sit right over here. There was a lot of grass in that place. Have you ever gone on a picnic? Have you ever been on a picnic? Anybody? Okay, a few of you are picnickers. If you've ever gone on a picnic, you've probably not sought out as your ideal location a rocky, dusty, dirty spot to lay your blanket, right? Ooh, good spot. Rocks, dust, dirt, no shade, perfect. No one ever said that. All, what, we, what we want is a nice, lush, green, grassy area, preferably shady, where we can enjoy the softness of the grass and the coolness of the shade. That sounds a little bit more enjoyable, doesn't it? And that's what Jesus wants to do for us. In the midst of our hunger, in the midst of our struggle, he's saying, tell you what, why don't you just sit down? But don't just sit down anywhere. Sit down right here. Aren't you thankful that he takes care of the details? Because he was thinking ahead on this. He could have picked the rocky, 
unshaded, non-grassy area. But he knew that those people were coming. He knew ahead of time that there's going to be 5,000 plus people. So he looked up along the mountainside and said, there's a spot right there because the people are going to need to be sitting there later on. Psalm 23, verses 1 through 3, says this about you and me and how Jesus looks out for us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He does that. We don't do that. He leads us. He has us to sit down. He prepares for us a place beside still waters, in green pastures. And his goal is to restore our souls, to be refreshed in his presence with his provision. Jesus knew the people were going to get hungry. So the need for food was there, but he also didn't just tell them to sit anywhere, but he thought ahead and he saw that place, that green area there, and he chose that place that would be comfortable. I'm so thankful that Jesus takes care of the details of our need. Know this. He's aware of every detail of your situation and he's not going to just leave it. He's not going to just pot shot it. He is going to take care of every detail of what you need because he's a God that provides and, and, and he's a God of details. I'm so thankful that he's always looking ahead. That he's always preparing a place for us that's the most beneficial for us to rest and receive ministry and strength and blessing from him. Aren't you, aren't you glad about that today? Jesus said in Matthew 6, 8, he said this about his father. Your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. You're going to Jesus and asking the Lord, I need your strength. I need your provision. I need your guidance. I need your healing. I need your help. God already knows it. So then why should I ask? Because we have to place our faith in him. We're, we're, we're declaring it to him instead of saying, Lord, I'm going to get this medicine. I'm going to get this surgery. I'm going to get this job. I'm going to have this relationship. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to rely on the things of this world to take care of me. Jesus says, no. You pray and ask me for it. I already know you need it, but you're acknowledging your dependence and your need on me and you're extending your faith out and you're allowing this relationship to be how it needs to be where you're not going to take credit for it only I can take credit for it. That's God speaking because you can't handle the credit. So rely on me. Trust in me. He prepares a place for us when, where not only our needs can be met, but our souls can be restored and he comforts us in our uncomfortableness. He comforts us in our uncomfortableness. If you're uncomfortable today, rest in his comfort. He's got a place for you to be seated. It's a nice, lush, green place. It's shady. He's bringing the food to you. Psalm 23, 5 says he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. When we're faced with the struggles, when the, the, when the devil's trying to get at us, when the circumstances are overwhelming, when things seem impossible, he's already preparing a table for us where we can feast upon all that he provides for us. Even in the midst of our struggles, he's there for you. He's there for me. And we really don't have to do anything about it other than to just come to Jesus and sit at his feet. Just sit down. You don't have to strive. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to beg him. We just come to Jesus with our struggles, with our lack, with our hunger, with our burdens, with our weariness, with our needs, and he provides. He serves. He loves. Let's look at the next thing that happened. Verse 11, Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted, and he did the same with the fish. You know, I've always heard this story, and this is the first time I've ever seen it this way, 
But I always picture Jesus blessing the loaves and the fish and then handing it out to the disciples and the disciples going out and distributing it. In fact, I've even probably seen movies where it's been that way. But if you read this, I don't know how to get around it. It says that Jesus took the loaves, Jesus gave thanks, and then Jesus distributed to those who were seated. It didn't say he had the disciples distribute it. He took the loaves, he gave thanks, and then he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted, and he did the same with the fish. He did it. So here's Jesus serving again. I, I, I just picture for just a minute, 5,000 plus people. Can you imagine? Here's Jesus in this sack pulling out loaves and fishes. And if you've ever seen the movie Mary Poppins, it's kind of that, she's got this like bag and she's pulling out stuff that doesn't belong in there. It wouldn't fit in there. And she just keeps pulling it out. And that's what Jesus did. He's just pulling out loaves and, and fishes. And, and people, people are probably watching and going, that bag is not big enough to hold all this. But look what he's doing. He's, here's another one. And he didn't say now... You better, you better really, you know, appreciate this because I don't have enough to go around and I can't give you any more than this. It's just one loaf. This is all I can do. No, it, it, let me read this again. It says, he distributed those who were seated as much as they wanted. I mean, some of us have bigger appetites than others, you know. Maybe I want three loaves of bread and a couple of fish. But pastor, there was only five loaves and two fish, so you're taking the, the lion's share of it. I'm sorry, I'm hungry. But it, the Jesus didn't say, now I only got a few things here, so you just, I mean, got to ration this thing out as much as they wanted. And I can just imagine Jesus weaving throughout. The, he had them all seated, and I can just imagine. It took more time, but he walked among the crowd. He says, what do you need? Well, family of three, you got four loaves and three fish. I mean, Sure. Just pull it out. Sure. Sure. And he just went out to 5,000 plus people. That took a long time. But that shows you the personal touch that Jesus gives to us. He cares about every detail of our lives, and he's going to take the time because you're worth it to him. And not just to give you just a little bit. He's not rationing anything. He's giving you all that you need. Isn't that good to know? So are you, what are you lacking here today? Peace? He gives you all you need. Joy? He gives you all you need. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, he's here to give you not just a little. He's not rationing out anything. He's giving it to you in abundance until you get full. And he's doing it personally. Do you realize today how much Jesus loves you? Do you realize how much Jesus cares for you today? Jesus loves you. Jesus cares for you so much that he's coming to you personally today. He's walking right up to you. He's going down every row. He's looking at you individually saying, what do you need? How can I serve you? How can I provide for you all that you need to satisfy your hungry soul? The desires of your heart, the struggles that you're facing. How can I replenish you today? How can I help you? He's doing that. He's not pawning it off to anybody else. This is his joy to do this today. Can you just allow Jesus right now to reach out towards you? 
and provide for you all that you need. I just want you to bow your heads. We're not necessarily closing here this morning. i got a couple more things I want to mention, but I think at this moment, just, just close your eyes and look around and say, all right, Lord, I want you just to just imagine Jesus walking right up to you with a, with a beautiful sack filled with whatever it is that you need. And if you will, just ask him. Do you need strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow? It's yours. Just ask him. Do you need joy unspeakable and full of glory? It's yours. Just ask him. Do you need a peace that passes all understanding? It's yours. Just ask him. Just ask him. Whatever you need, Jesus is here to distribute to you as much as you want, as much as you need to satisfy your soul. Reach out. He's not rationing it this morning. He didn't ration it then. He's not rationing it today. We serve a God of abundance. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. There's nothing that he is limited. He, his provision is unlimited in every area of your life. Just ask him right now. Just ask him right now. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, let your peace, let your joy, let your strength, let your healing, let your hope, let your help, let your deliverance be our portion today. Just call out to him right now. Just tell him. Maybe it's the secret of your heart. It's just no one else knows but, but you and the Lord. Just tell him. The struggles that you're facing, the trials that you're facing, the doubt, the fear, the worry, the anxiety, the loneliness, the the things that no one else knows because you put on a good front to everybody, but Jesus knows and he's coming to you face to face and he's not letting anybody else listen. He's leaning up to your, to your ear and saying, what do you need today? Now, by the way, he already knows what you need. He's just wanting you to ask him. So ask him. Whisper it in your heart back to him. And then he's going to pull it out of that, that bag. And he's going to give you all that you need. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, restore us. Oh, renew us. Refresh us. Encourage us. Strengthen us. Guide us. Help us. Provide for us. Oh, Lord, we cry out to you today. We need you, Lord more than ever before. This last thing that Jesus said when they had all they wanted to eat was he turned to the disciples and he said, gather the pieces that are left over and let nothing be wasted. You see, Jesus distributed and then the disciples gathered the scraps. What a testimony to these men of the miracle that just occurred. These 12 baskets of scraps left over, one basket full per disciple. Five barley loaves, two fish turned into feeding 5,000 plus with 12 baskets left over. I want you to know something this morning. The need is always going to be there in your life. No one is an island and no one is self-sufficient. The fact is, you 
I, we need Jesus. We need what he has to provide for us. And Jesus will never, ever turn you away. If you come to him, he will then come to you. They came to him and they were seated and then he went to them at the point of their need. And just like Jeremiah 31, 25 says, he says, I will refresh the weary and I will satisfy the faint. So what struggle are you facing today? When Jesus is asking you, where shall we buy bread for the people to eat? He's asking you, what impossible thing do you have to offer me today? What struggles do you have? He wants to turn them into a victory. What weariness do you have? He wants to give you rest. What discouragement do you have? He wants to give you joy. Don't tell Jesus what you're facing is impossible today because nothing is impossible with Jesus. Won't you give him what you have and watch him take it and make it more than enough. Today, he's asking you to just sit down. He's instructing you, sit down. Sit in this grassy area, nice shady place. I've got something for you. And I want to give you not just a little, but I want to give you as much as you need today. And then he's going to do the same thing tomorrow and the next day and the next. It came to pass. It didn't come to stay. And in the midst of it, he's here coming right at you face to face whispering in your ear holding you carrying you you see I'm not pointing you to me or to this church I'm pointing you to Jesus today I can't do anything for you but Jesus he's our source he's our strength he's all that we need and I promise that anything that he does in your life will never be wasted the scraps are testimonies of his faithfulness and his provision and his goodness in your life for others to see. I would love for you to just come to the altar and just be seated and just let him minister to your spirit this morning. Let's take a few moments and do that. Just join me because I'm, I'm here. Lord, I'm, I'm like Philip a lot of times. Say, Lord, it's impossible, but it's not impossible with you. So, Lord, I'm just being seated in this green grassy area along with the others that are joining me. And in this impossible situation, I declare that nothing is impossible with you. Lord, you're the strength of my life, you're my peace, you're my help. You're my joy. My guide. You're my deliverer. Lord, you're my healer. Jesus, you're my rescuer. Jesus, you're my peace, my joy, my strength. You're all that I need. I, I come to you seated in this green grassy area in this place that you prepared for us. All of us, Lord God, are we just, we're just being seated here. And I thank you, Jesus, that now as we're seated, you're coming to us with the, the bag of 
your provision, your blessing, your who you are. You know what we need. So, Father, we sit at your feet right now and say right now, it's between you and me. We're not making a giant declaration of it because you're coming to us individually and you're whispering our ear, what are you hungry for? What do you need? How much do you need? Because I'm going to give you what you need and I'm not going to hold anything back. I'm going to give you until you're satisfied. Church, we have no excuse here to leave today unsatisfied because he's here to provide for us what we need specifically and as much as we need in abundance. Please don't walk out of this place empty, struggling, hurting, bound. Don't walk out of here saying the situation in my life is impossible. It may be impossible to you, but it's not impossible to God. So come to Him with your impossible things. Come to Him in faith. Come to Him with what you have. Just a little bit. That's right, Lord, multiply it. Multiply this out. I do believe in you, Jesus. I do believe in you. Right now I'm in the middle of, of hell on earth, it seems like. Of an impossible situation. This struggle, this trial, this diagnosis this relationship that's severed, this bondage that I'm in, I cannot do anything about it in my own strength. I'm done. I've reached my end. But Lord, I'm not going to walk away from you, but I'm going to come to you because I realize that as I sit at your feet, where my end is, is your beginning. And you're going to give me the strength that I need. You're going to deliver me. You're going to heal. You're going to provide. You're going to guide. Come on, you guys, just individually, as you're seated here, you just need to talk to them. I mean, I can talk all day, but there's something specific that you came down here for. And I want you to know that as you come and are seated, Jesus is now coming to you. And he's whispering in your ear, what can I do for you today? And by the way, he already knows, but you need to tell him. Because he already has an idea of what he's going to do. But you need to acknowledge it, that, Lord, you're my provider. You're my source. You're my help. You're my rescue. You're my provider. You're my guide. Yeah. And as he, as you tell him what you need, which he already knows, he's going to pull it out of his bag and give it to you. And then you should receive it, because they ate. So taste and see that the Lord is good today. And he's, 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 feeding you what you need joy peace again strength healing deliverance what is it let him feed that to you in abundance today hold nothing back Lord fill us to the full even to the point of leftovers so that it be a testimony to other people because we want what you're doing in our hearts right now to impact other people in our lives we want to have enough to share. We haven't have enough to, 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 to overflow into other people's lives. We don't want enough just for us. We want enough to share. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. 
Just, just thank him. Do you imagine the people that were being fed that day? You know that they thanked him. I think it's appropriate for us to thank him, don't you? I mean, it's just, that's just the right thing to do. Because we're also then acknowledging him. They didn't just grab the food and say, give that to me. I earned it. I deserve it. No. We haven't earned or deserve anything. He's out of the goodness, out of the graciousness, out of the kindness and the love and compassion of his heart because he knows we're needy people is giving us what we need. We're acknowledging that. We're asking him. Let's thank him. Let's just thank him. Oh, it's so good to... It's, the Bible says this is good to give thanks to the Lord. It's good to give thanks. So just thank him. Lord, thank you for doing and fill in the blank. Just, just thank him. You see, this is what relationship with Jesus is all about. It's not just letting him be your savior. Okay, I'm washed, cleaning my sins. I'm going to heaven one day. No, it's a relationship. He's there with you to walk with you, to talk with you, to help you, to strengthen you, to carry you, to guide you. That's what relationship is all about. And so in a relationship, in a healthy relationship, we ask, we thank, we love, we, we, we extend out in different ways, just like you would with your spouse or a friend or somebody else that you think a lot about. You're kind to them. You prioritize them, you know. <laughs> That's what relationship with Jesus is all about. It's not just checking off a box on Sunday mornings, but it's walking with him 24-7. And just like we sang that song just a little bit ago, and you're weeping and you're laughing in the morning and the evening, he's with you to bless you and to help you. Mm-hmm. It is good to rest in his presence. Not just right now, but this is a great example of what I encourage you to do every day. Find that place in that lush green area where he's prepared a place for you. He's your shepherd. He's guiding you into those places where he restores your soul in the midst of your struggle. Yes, tie another knot on the end of the rope and know that it came to pass. He is faithful. He is good. He's seen you through. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.